Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. Welcome back to Story Shaped Podcast, Story Fans. Um, today, Susan and I have an absolutely wonderful guest. We are speaking with the brilliant, the luminous, the talented, the gifted Eve MacDonald. Um, we are so pleased to welcome Eve to the podcast. Eve is a, a friend of the pod, uh, but she's also a very gifted um, author. And not only that, she is an artist. Uh, she is a parent of, as she says, the best twins in the universe, and they are, they're amazing. <laughs> and uh, she's also, she lives halfway up a hill in my own home county of Wexford, and I'm very jealous of that because I'd love to go home to my home county of Wexford. Um, you get to live there all the time, lucky her. Um, she has written uh, the amazing novel, Else Time, which was published in 2020 uh, by Everything With Words. And her second book uh, is called The Chestnut Roaster, um, and it is coming later this year. Uh, and you can tell you more about that, I hope later in the episode um, and I have had the immense privilege of reading The Chestnut Roaster ahead of publication because I'm lucky like that uh, and it is just as incredible as Else Time and anybody who is a fan of Eve's first novel will no doubt uh, lap up uh, The Chestnut Roaster. It's excellent. Um, so Susan and I are thrilled and amazed to welcome the wonderful Eve today to Story Shaped Podcast. So Eve McDonald, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Up Wexford, Sinead. Luck, Armin, Absolutely. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much um, for having me today. Um, I, it's an honour to be part of this brilliant, brilliant uh, podcast. I've listened to, I think, all of them so far. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here today. And I will try not to speak for Ireland because I could. <laughs> That's fine. You speak um, whatever way you like to speak. We're all I have to say it's, been, it's been an adventure going through the books of my childhood and my early adulthood to, to uh, come up with some bits to talk about today. So thank you very much. Oh, we can't wait. We're so excited. <laughs> That's what we're all about here, isn't it? Getting people to think about the books that they sh that shaped them as kids and getting them to even to revisit the, the wonder of the books they loved when they were young. But yeah, so do you want to start, Susan? Eve McDonald, are you story shaped? Well, gosh, I tell you now, uh, that question's been batting about, obviously, since you guys started your podcast. And I've been thinking about that question quite long and hard because initially I said to myself, Oh my God, of course, I'm, I'm story shaped, you know, I'm practically book shaped. I've, you know, sharp corners and straight sides and I'm like, you know, rectangular. But the more I thought about it, I realized it's actually quite a difficult question, really, for me to answer. Um, because rather than being perfectly story shaped, I'm a little bit, I suppose, like a blob, a little bit maybe misshapen and trying to form um, into a perfect story shaped person, I guess, because um, although I did read a lot, you know, say from my 20s onwards, my childhood was slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a huge number of books to read. And I did actually, oh, oh no, I, I, with the exception of my 24 uh, copies of Tintin, 
um, the full <laughs> series I was very very proud of but if I take that out of the equation I could literally count the number of uh, childhood books I had in one hand and I'm looking forward to speaking about one in particular today but um, so you know I'm obviously looking forward to that but my preteen years and you know my my sort of early teen years were quite difficult for me and I when this whole process of thinking about whether or not I'm short story shaped has actually revealed something to me and that is you know I have I had fierce social anxiety back then it was probably caused by bullying in secondary school in early secondary school and I couldn't find myself in any of the books that I read back then and I think I gave up on the books back then in, in those early years and by asking me that question, are you story shaped? It's kind of answered another question, which is why I write for children. And I think the answer to that, or at least one of the answers uh, for that, is that I try to write the books that I wish I had when I was that age. So yes, I'm story shaped, but I'm still being formed. I'm not perfectly formed as yet. I've made up for it, or at least I'm trying to make up for it, certainly from my twenties onwards. Um, and most recently in the past, say, 10 years, I'm giving away my age now to start doing the maths. But <laughs> <laughs> I think once you're over 21, it just doesn't matter anymore, Eve. So don't worry. Gosh, that's, that's thank true. You so much for that really, really thoughtful answer to the question. That That's amazing. Um, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of books. I didn't own a lot of books when I was a kid either. Like we didn't have, I suppose, I suppose money or space for them. But I'm at the library was my salvation as a kid. As a, as a big reader um but gosh yeah that's that's a really really thoughtful and I suppose that's exactly what the pod is about too I mean you're, you, you we don't just stop being shaped by stories when we're when we finish our childhood I mean they go on to shape us all through our life you know so, absolutely now I certainly had the hunger for it mm. um back there because I know certainly my book um that I absolutely love with all my heart is The Wonderful Wizard of Oz um by L. Frank Baum and that book I know when I read that for the 100th time as a child, I did actually seek more. At the back of that book is actually a list of all the the other books that he wrote. And I did um, make desperate attempts um, to try and find another book um, written by him. And I did find one which was about Santa Claus, the life of Santa Claus. And it was written in such a different style. And if you remember, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz was written in the year 1900. So mm-hmm. um, they, they, even the language can be slightly different, but not in that particular book. But when I got my hands on the Santa Claus book, it was entirely different. And I felt it was like reading something from Charles Dickens. Um, and at that young age, it was too much too soon and probably almost scared me away because I made several attempts to read that particular book. Um, and it didn't it didn't, you know, light any any candles for me. It, it really, really didn't work um, and probably turned me off a little bit for a while. Um, so, yeah, it, it's quite amazing how how your life evolves, you know, in terms of your reading habits. And I went into a completely different avenue then in terms of looking at nonfiction books. My family uh, at home, it wasn't so much that they couldn't necessarily afford books, but it reading fiction just wasn't a habit um, mm. for my parents. Um, they read nonfiction all the time. The Reader's Digest, if you remember oh, that. Yeah, we magazine. had that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That used yeah, my, to come in the door, I don't know, was it once a month? I can't even remember. I can't remember now, but I'm, I remember you get, getting it, all right. But my parents weren't weren't readers either. They still aren't really. Um, so mm. that I suppose it wouldn't have, been a, it wouldn't have been a habit for them. But my brother and I came out of, I don't know, out of, outer space maybe there's we dropped like aliens into their lives Quite like, possible, we're, Sinead, we're both yeah. extremely <laughs> extremely bookish the pair of us you know and we have always been big readers um so that's that's fun isn't it uh can i ask you if, if 
so if, if books weren't shaping your imagination when you were a child, what was shaping your imagination? Gosh, there's a thing. Mm. Um, probably play. I would say oh, more than yeah. anything. Um, and I suppose, yeah, you could say story existed there um, in terms of, I always had a wild imagination. I was always um, a seeker of wonder. I actually call myself a wonderlarker now because I'm always um, looking for wonder in everything I see and do. Usually kind of nature um, is, is a big hit for me. And I think back then I was always sort of making up stories. If we went, you know, for a walk somewhere, I was in with the trees, I was up on the branches, I was, there were fairies up there, you know, in my imagination, every, the world was just so rich um, with story. So I think, I think story was always there. I just didn't quite find it. And I suppose it just kind of rings a little bell for all of us that, you know, the right book for the right child is there somewhere. And it's a case of basically finding it. And once you, once you do find it, it can really start things rolling. Um, I do remember like we did go to the library um, quite a bit and uh, I have a very, very clear memory of not turning left into Dean's Grange Library, but turning right. Um, and that was into the nonfiction section. And um, can't remember it was nonfiction for children or whether it's adults, but either way, I was in there reading about space travel um about you know everything to do with gymnastics because that was a thing at the time um you know and I was I was feeding myself with all of this information and then kind of branching further into more books based on history which and all these things have shaped me as a writer um mm -hmm. as time has gone on um but definitely fiction was was really really few and far between for me as I said with the exception of one or two um, books that really really uh, meant the world to me but I, I think definitely it's kind of made me realize with having young children myself I have 12 year old twins and one is a an avid reader um, she knows exactly what she likes she knows where to go to in a bookshop or a library um, she's quite particular and she reads like crazily fast I have another twin who is the exact opposite and I used to think, call him a reluctant reader um, and I think that was a bad label to give him because he's not a reluctant reader. He he basically hadn't quite found what he was looking for. And he now has discovered nonfiction and almost self-help books, you know, in, in terms of how to be ambitious and how to achieve in sport and all that sort of thing. So um, it just takes time to find the right thing. That's, that's brilliant. That's, it's so interesting, though, that you're saying that your imagination was shaped by like being a wonder seeker, being a wonder larker. Uh, because that's yeah that's so evident in else time with the, the hagstones and um you know with the mudlarking this yeah. uh, needle is like he's out there searching for the wonder in the world absolutely mm -hmm. and you know it, it hits me like even with my new book coming out it was it was actually started by i found a leaf um an old leaf that was literally it had lost all its green and it was left with just its veins and a leaf skeleton and i remember looking at the leaf skeleton and thinking you know, it, has, it was so fragile looking, but yet it was so sturdy. And I re kind of looking, zooming in on the little tiny bits, it was like a map um, to some mysterious world. And that fed into the chestnut roast in my next book. So definitely what I write is always, um, you know, born from something to do with wonderlarking, seeing something different, um, you know, seeing more than what meets the eye, I suppose. Um, and that started way back there, like reading the nonfiction books and getting fascinated by um, bits of information that you could really develop. And actually, as I got older, and I said, forgive me, because I'm surrounded by books here. I've walked them all with me. <laughs> I've added books to the left and children's books to the right. 
like stuck in the middle with you guys. But I, I there was one <laughs> particular book, um, which it, it was, I'm trying to find it here now. It's called me books. It was by Lyle Watson. And this is an adult book now, but it's called Supernature. And it, I'm going to read it again because I only rediscovered it when I was researching for this particular podcast. And it is absolutely stuck to the gills. Most fascinating um information with regards to everything from like this photography i mean even the word photography you just want to know more you know what does that mean it talks about what the cosmos it, it talks about oh photography is where you can actually create a picture through thought so you oh. might you work with say um, a camera and you can tell that camera to produce a photograph without touching the camera without you know, it, it actually takes the picture in your mind and produces it. So it, it's and this is it's all based on scientific fact. Like this, this is really quite fascinating stuff. Cutting edge at the time, but it's actually I think it's 1970s or something that it was actually produced. But it's full of really supernatural um, information. And that kind of came from my my, I suppose, wonder at nonfiction books when I was a child. I kind of continued reading that um, when I got older, you know, when I could afford my own books and choose my own books. And um, so into my 20s, really, when I started to work, um, I found myself just getting the adult version of the children's books that I used to like. Um, so, yeah, it's, and that definitely feeds into my writing today, you know, um, and I'm definitely going to read that book again because I'm, I've no doubt my next book <laughs> might come out of it. You know, it might be spurred on by something in it. So, yeah, it's it's, it's quite amazing how how the books that you read, either as a child or an adult, form your thinking and form who you are. There was another book, actually, um, just I know it's an adult book, but it was completely different. And I, and I think I just want to give a little bit of context about my own personal career. I wasn't always a writer. I worked, um, I decided one day I was going to be an artist. I won a prize when I was really, really young. And kind of the path was laid out in front of me. The yellow brick road was there. I was going to do that as a career. And um, I found I didn't want to. I went into graphic design for a long, long time. And I kind of resented the fact that my art was being used up, that creative creativity was being used up in work. So I quit that job and started to work in a completely different field. And it was definitely inspired by a book I had read which was um, Contest for the Heavens. It's a big, thick, chunky book, but it's all about the Challenger disaster. Um, I can't remember what year that happened, but in the 80s, I think. Um, February the, 6, was it? Was yeah, it, it was something around then? I used to know everything about it. There you go, the brain's gone mad. But anyway, that book ultimately was about, I suppose, Russian control and perfectionism and configuration management and making sure all of the tiny little details are in place um, to produce something greater at the end and knowing that if one of those is slightly out of place it's going to have a massive knock-on effect and that book um, made me decide I was going to work in uh, computers I was going to be um, working in the field of software development and I became what's called a configuration manager and that was all about making sure files were the right version when they were being put together to produce our software and so forth and I thought that was genuinely the road I was going to go down until um, and I stayed I stayed on that road for quite some time um, until I met a fortune teller who told me to write. <laughs> so, <laughs> and this kind of brings me back to my supernature book by Lyle Watson, because in there it talks about telling fortunes, telling the future and stuff like that. So I believed um, my fortune teller and did actually of start course. to write. Yes. But she also predicted twins. 
So I wasn't going to ignore her. So, so she, was anyhow, on, she was on the money that day. My goodness. She was on the money. <laughs> the Wexford woman, Sinead, you know. But anyway, so it, it definitely um, had an impact. All those books. It's amazing how when you, you can see your life. As I'm surrounded by my, my books here, I can see a bit of me in practically every single one of them. It's 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 quite incredible how books do shape you at the end of the day, be, albeit wobbly <laughs> at this point. That's amazing. That's that's wow. I, I'm so impressed with I've never heard of any of the books that you're mentioning and, and they're all sort of maybe things I wouldn't necessarily have read, but I'm taking notes of all the titles you're giving. I'm going to look them all up because they all sound so interesting. Um, I, this is one of the really un, unseen, I suppose, or un, untold benefits of doing this podcast is, is meeting other books through the guests that we have on. Oh, absolutely. I would never have never have heard of before. And they, they sound fat. I mean, is it is a contest for the heavens? Is that the one about the contest challenger? for the heavens? Yeah. Yes. Who uh, was the author Clance of that? Jensen. Clance Clance Jensen. Jensen. Yeah. Just the in road case. to the challenger disaster. Well, because yeah. I remember that happening yeah. when I was only I was only young at the time. I remember watching. I remember. I remember it happened. It was one of my first, you know, these these big impactful memories you have of your childhood. Like you know, there was what was it Live Aid and, and Challenger were two. Of them, That's two right. Of them, two of them for yeah. me, you know, because I because I'm only I'm only young, of course. You're only young. <laughs> Yeah, I remember on YouTube, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing it on the radio and then like looking up at the sky as if I would be able to see wow. something up in the sky. Yeah. You're yeah. obviously younger than us then, Susan. No, she's no, older. Look at older than me. Me and Susan are kind uh, yeah. of the same. We were we were in college together. Uh, so oh, we're, forgive me, Sinead, I shouldn't even be putting you in the same bracket. Yeah. There's a few there's a few months <laughs> in the difference. I'm I'm but I'm still, we're still, we're, we're all, as I said, 21 plus, and that's all we need to worry about. <laughs> that's it, exactly. <laughs> uh, gosh, wow. And it's funny, uh, kind of what I picked up from part of what you were saying there too, is that sometimes, you know, meeting the right book at the right time for a child is vital to, to turning, or not to turn them into a reader, but maybe to to give them a particular shape at a particular time to set them on a, on a path that they might want to go down. But also, mm. you know, meeting the wrong book or, or you know, meeting mm. a book that puts you off at, at, at that at, at a crucial moment too can be kind of can be true it's bad. as I you said saying about the yeah, when, I, when and, I read that Santa Claus book that, yeah, that yeah. did actually turn me off and I also I think around the same time I did actually try uh, to read my mother's another way back then um, there used to be traveling uh, doormen who would knock on your door and give you your encyclopedia and your yes, we got our um, your collection of Charles Dickens, yes, all leather bound, yeah. beautiful books that used to sit in a bookshelf beside the fireplace that you never, ever touched. And when oh. I kind of I, I became naturally hungry to read, um, I didn't I didn't voice that at home. I didn't say goodbye me books. It just was something that was there. And I remember seeing this line of brilliant Dickens books that you know they were meant to be brilliant stories and I'm you know I'd love them and I remember picking up one I can't even remember which one it was and I was devastated because the language in it was just too much for me at the time and it mm-hmm. made absolutely no sense and I remember trying to read it again and again and again um and I found it really really disappointing and I think that's why um as I said I probably let go a little bit um yeah. with fiction um, at that young age, you know, instead, as I said, it made me turn right in the library instead of left. Instead of left, yeah. Yeah. But you still ended up in the wonderful place you are in, so it's all good. It reminds it me when I first it? when I first met uh, Terry Pratchett, <laughs> the first book I read of his was Weird Sisters. So I was about eight, and I knew I was too. I I didn't understand all the jokes. I knew I didn't get it, but I knew 
I wanted to be clever enough to get it eventually. So I, I wanted to try and read it again, you know, to sort of make myself intelligent enough to understand it. And it was a very strange thought process for, for a kid. But I put it on my shelf for a couple of years and said, I'll, I'll come back to that when I'm ready. And I did come back to it and I loved it then. And, and it I, I've loved his work since, you know. So I guess maybe it depends on the kid as well. But uh, certainly the right story at the right time and or the wrong story at the right time can can be can be they can be yeah. they can both be it, avenues for 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 finding books can't they or finding finding, their, finding think, your think, shape yeah it's, it's important i think and again going back to this of the parenting side it's important i think for children to see adults reading a book um as much as possible but also saying oh it's i'm not enjoying this i'm going to put it down and mm. I'm going to move oh, on. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not a brick wall. You know that it's okay to do that. Sure. Um. It's okay to try something else, and not all sizes fit. You know. So I. I. Th I think it's. It's something that we as as grown ups need to do for our children, um, and let them recognise that they don't have to be forced to read through a book. God help them. In some cases, they're forced to read books in school, and you know there mightn't be something that they particularly like you know for example my daughter as I said she I'm a massive fan of fantasy obviously it's what I write um and I suppose in one sense I kind of forced that on my children as they're growing up all the books I picked <laughs> you know were the books that appealed to me and I'm so glad that my daughter in particular kind of was able to say hold on a sec I'm not enjoying this and went off and found her contemporary books and whatever that she enjoys at such a young age my job is done you know so I think it's important mm that they recognize there are different books all along. And, you know, I think I, I was finding that out the hard way as a child um, by trial and error, but nobody was there to kind of direct me. Why don't you, you try these? Yeah. A mm. librarian would have done it in a heartbeat had I bothered to go to them, you know, but, um, or a bookseller indeed. But I, I uh, yeah, it's but it just shows you I went off down the road and I found my own way eventually. That's you the main did. thing. <laughs> when, do you, when did you find your way back to fiction? To fiction I was working um I had I had I went off on that tangent where I was reading crazy stories um you know Edward de Bono and chaos I I found that those books were you know what I was supposed to be reading and they were filling my mind with you know boosting my imagination massively but I had completely neglected my my uh my fiction and then I met this guy in work who was a really uh fond reader of fiction and he used to read all the Booker Prize uh, winning books um, and and shortlisted um, authors and he used to give me a list every now and then have you read this try this try this he became my advisor basically so if I finished a book I contact him and say what's next you know <laughs> and he would literally I'd say we went through it was only short-lived so I was only working there a while but I suppose probably I don't know 10 15 20 books um, that I read on his recommendation and I, I found fiction again and I was That's like great. oh my gosh and He's I was like your so fairy excited. book mother he literally was and I, I haven't kept in touch but I still have him on Facebook and I just someday I'll write to him and say any recommendations he's probably got <laughs> sick of me at the end you know he's like I'm running out of recommendations but he Never. gave me some really really super books one or two particular books that this guy um recommended to me and uh he was quite fond as I said of you know Booker Prize winning books and he the one that I really fell in love with was The God of Small Things by Aaron Dati Roy and I absolutely adored it and I suppose it was probably one of the earlier books I read and uh, when I got back into reading fiction um at that stage um, I'm thinking maybe I was in my late 20s I'm really giving away my age too much um but he also introduced me to other books which were um historical fiction and 
it was like a spark went off in my mind. I absolutely adore historical fiction, be it adult books or children's books now. And of course, there's always a historical twist in the in the or um, setting in the books that I write um, today. So I'm guessing that's where that influence kind of came from. And I suppose my favourite of all would have been uh, Sweet Francais by Irene Nemorowski. Oh, I'm probably pronouncing that, that completely wrong. Sweet Francais, wouldn't it be? Sweet Francais. <laughs> but it was, it was based on... In one respect, yeah, it was a fictional story, but it was written by a woman who died um, before she got to, to finish. Um, she'd written the first draft, and that's, as we know, nowhere near finished. And uh, But the book was only published, I think it was like 65 years after her death. After her death, um, yeah. In the 1940s. So mm-hmm. I loved the fact that it was almost impossible to distinguish between fiction and reality her own personal experience um and in the book as well as also in certainly my version it talks about her actual history you know um and so it, it it's 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 a I just loved the way you could marry um historical fiction um or the history itself with fiction and and produce something quite magical and, and as a writer you have the freedom um to bring in magic to bring in a different ending to bring in whatever it might be Mm-hmm. Um, but also stick to fix to, to the, the reality, the real story, um, as and when you want to. So that was definitely an influence for me. It's um, amazing. It's an amazing book. I really yeah. I love that one as yeah. well. Cool. Actually, I don't know why I'm thinking of this now, but there's a book also called Alone in Berlin by Hans Falada. I think it's the name of the author. I think it was a pen name. Did you ever, did you ever read that one? It's kind of, no. it's not, I suppose, not similar to Sweet Francaise. It's totally different, but it's also based on his real experiences in wartime Berlin. And it was kind of written, I believe, in a, sort of a feverish two or three week period you know where the man was actually living through the horrors he was describing like it's 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 like yeah. a story about the resistance in in Germany you know um against okay, the Nazi well, regime it's, it's yeah. yeah it's it's like it's an incredibly harrowing read as because you'd expect from the time but it's actually it's also like this mm. electrifyingly I, I found it to be anyway an electrifyingly engaging sort of a, a book I really recommend it to yeah, yeah. and you too also um Sinead have um sort of a historical setting in some of your books yeah as well sort of pseudo historical um, something more so yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but you know it's it's kind of influenced by events that have happened in the past yeah that's um, true yeah so you'd wonder is that does that come from you know reading historical fiction and what I influence guess, it yeah. has i love i love but history I studied it, so. yeah well yeah. there you go so i i think i think certainly you know when when you're talking about stories that shape your work mm-hmm. um I can I can pick out many, but there's there's one in particular that I have to give huge credit to, and that is the the wonderful Wizard of Oz, and um, by L. Frank Baum. It is the one book that if if my house went on fire, I would I would <laughs> you'd save. That and I'll one. tell you, oh my God, it's it, I got I don't know what age I was when I got it. It was written in 1900. This particular edition is 1960s. I don't know how I got it. I don't know who pressed it into my hand. Um, I do know that I lost it in my teens. Um, this actual copy after reading it hundreds of times and I only found it this year oh that's so, amazing yeah so now I, actually, I went off and bought another copy the same mm-hmm. edition if you like same cover same um you know the, the the art in it is just incredible um and this would have had influence not just on my writing but also on my art and I I was so thrilled my sister actually moved house and she found my original book um, underneath a heap of dishes or something in a box she never opened when she moved out for her, our family home all those years ago Amazing. so it was meant to be found and um this particular one I'm holding up I know you can't see when you keep your listening 
the actual original version. And I should be wearing gloves <laughs> when I wear it. <laughs> I love it so much uh, when I use it. But um, definitely just just looking at sort of the influence it had on my artistic career. Um, the the illustrations in this by W. W. Denso. I don't know if you've read this book, but these um color plates as they're described within this book. So you've got two sections of an, a number of pages of illustration. Um, and they basically, so you read the first bit of the book and then you've got maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 illustrations that depict scenes that you've already read, but also scenes that you're about to read. And mm. um, with spoilers, like it's bizarre. And this apparently is the original layout of the book um, way back in 1900. Um, so those, those particular draws, I could draw every single one of those with my eyes closed. I know them so well. I know the color scheme. I know everything about them. I know the caption at the bottom. They are firmly planted in my brain. And I'm sure that they had an impact on my art as I got older, certainly when, when, when it comes to color. And another um, collection of books that had an impact similar to that were the Ladybird books. Way back. Love the Lady um, books. I love it. Now, yeah. I don't have any. I didn't keep any, unfortunately. I don't know where they all went. But the Elves and the Shoemaker, was an, a firm favorite i remember the, the the original illustrations and the version that i would have read as a child over and over um the, there was a lot of brown <laughs> there was a lot of mahogany there was i a had lot that of, copy did you have yeah. that copy um it, it actually yeah. reminds me of some pj lynch's work actually more recently but the 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 art yeah. without a doubt in those ladybird books influenced how i paint and um, in terms of sort of the realist style, very kind of my, my color palette without a shadow of that was influenced by it. Um, and also my writing was influenced by this book, the, the Elves and the Shoemaker, because I just pictured, you know, a very sort of wooden workshop with workshop tools and small little mahogany cabinets, millions of them and all full of different bits and pieces. And all of the books I write, seem to have that room if you like in it in some shape or form no matter what it is I'm writing and so this definitely had uh, some sort of subconscious uh, grasp a uh, hold of my um, my imagination without a shadow of a doubt but the Wizard of Oz yeah I, I could talk for Ireland um, about the Wizard of Oz and I, I think it's a really really special book because I think really the, the main thing about it is the guy who wrote this L. Frank Baum he wrote this at a time when all children's books sort of had a very strict moral message in them, he wrote this for the opposite reason. He wanted to simply bring pleasure to children. And it was almost, almost unheard of at the time. And uh, now granted, there is still a message in this book. <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is, you already do possess what you think you lack. And that's the kind of the strong message in this book. But, and of course there's no place like home, but um, definitely, it's a book that brought me immense pleasure um, as a child. But when I'm as, a, as an adult reading it, um, and I do read it quite regularly, it, 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 it was kind of really, really good to realise this was one of the first sort of feminist heroes that you'd find in children's literature uh, back then. And in fact, when I researched this book a bit more to find out what people really thought of the book, um, I discovered that it was actually banned in 1928 in um, most libraries in the US. Um, and the reason being the the strong female protagonist in it, Dorothy, our Dorothy, 
um, was considered too ungodly. She was, you know, too with it and uh, too independent. And for that reason, it was it was banned for a long, long time. And so I'm, oh, I'm actually really proud of this book. Yeah, you know, that's I amazing. Go, go a little book. This is quite yeah. cutting edge. Yeah. yeah. And um, what a brilliant, what a brilliant Mar- I know you're saying, oh, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, go on, go on. Just the way you were talking about the, the books at the time it was written had a moral, you know, and I was thinking about it and, so, and mm. this one does as well. But what, what a great moral to have, like what a kind of a modern moral in a way, like, you know, what you already have, what you think you lack is such a fantastic thing to, yeah. to have, a ch- have a child take away from a story as opposed to sort of the, the late 19th century children's stories, which were like, you know, obey God and obey your parents or you'll fall in the fire and die, exactly. that kind of thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a much more. Uh, and Sinead, you know. how it's done is really subtle. <laughs> like it, it, we all know the story, of course, of the Wonderful yeah. Wizard of Oz. Um, mm. And we know say, that the poor uh, scarecrow wants his brains and um, we know that the tin woodman wants his heart and the lion wants his courage. And, you know, they do get that in a way at the end. But mm-hmm. throughout the entire story, if you look at the actions of each of those characters, they are proving the whole time that they have these things all along. So like if there's if there's a challenge in front of them, it's the scarecrow who comes up with a good idea. Or it's the lion who who scares away some baddies or beasts that are coming towards them, you know. And you know, for example, there's a scene when the Tin Woodman, um, or the Tin Man, as seen in the film, um, or called in the film, he uh, starts crying his eyes out because he stood on a beetle by accident, and oh. you know he's got a heart. So it's it's all these. It just it's, and it's so subtly done. It doesn't say you have all these things all along inside you. You just have to believe. You know, it's yeah. it's it's just. A young reader might miss it, you know. Um, so it, it, I just think it's wonderful as if you, when you reread a book, you can kind of pick up on all the, these little subtleties, you know, um, and nuances. So I, I love it. I also love it because of it. It's uh, again, it kind of marries both my writing and my art. But color plays a big part in this, obviously, other than the illustrations, which are stunning. Um, but if you think of the world, the world building is incredible. And if you think about it, it's all kind of broken down into different colors. So, you know, you've got obviously the green Emerald City, you've got um, the the munchkins that we join at the beginning of the story um, in the book. Everything's blue. I don't think that kind of carried across to the film. Um, you've got, uh, you know, the yellows, I think it is the Winkies and the, the, where the Wicked Witch, Witch of the West uh, is from um, and so forth. And you've read where Glinda, who's the, the, the good witch who eventually sends them home. The story is slightly different, obviously, um, in the book than it is in the film. but um, yeah, I think I think it's massively important, you know, to to be able to visualize so clearly when you read a story. And I hope to bring that across into my writing. Um, and there's a thing I call the I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but the wonder spark. This is where this was born. And you you all know if you haven't read the book, you know the film when Dorothy is in her grey world and she walks up to the door and she opens that door. And suddenly, obviously, the, you know, colour photography was only becoming a thing in the 1950s when the film was made um, or 1949 or whatever it was. But suddenly you've got this panorama of, you know, beautiful, stunning, bright colour in the world of Munchkins. So that contrast from the mundane grey world that she was living in in Kansas to that and that very precise moment when she opens that door. To me, I call that the wonder spark moment. And I have, like, even on my wall here in my writing room, I have that a picture of that very moment from the movie where she opens that door. And I, I use it as like a pit stop. It's like a litmus test when I write that. Am I getting that same feeling when I write 
a chapter in my book? Is there something in my story that I'm writing that's making you kind of go, oh, you'll never forget that. So that, and I, I find that just so important to me and my writing. And um, unfortunately, that scene is actually really, really, really kind of nondescript in the book itself. But the filmmakers, MGM, knew what they were at, you know, and they took advantage of that particular scene. In the book, she just walks across and opens the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, maybe, it's not as a bit harder to, Yeah, maybe a bit harder to bring that across in, in, in words than it is in a, in a, in a, on, a on a screen. Well, I suppose it leaves that's the amazing. imagination too, doesn't it? Well, maybe. Yeah. Yes, true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's 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 I love that idea of a wonder spark. You know, that's well, I can't I'm trying to think is there anything visual that yeah, I would have I, I think, a similar yeah. wonder spark in my life. Mine are mine are all book related. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure you know you know it yourself. There's something I know the feeling, when you're watching yeah. a movie yeah. or you're watching, yeah, it's the feeling when you read a book, mm. um it, you know, or you hear something and it makes you just tingle inside. And that's the wonder spark. And I think if you can actually identify that with something literally tangible that you can actually stick on your wall or put in front of you or it might be a quote from something. I think that it's, it's fantastic inspiration as a writer. It's, you literally have to compare what you're doing to that the whole time and try to reach. That's your goal, you know, to try and bring that feeling to your young readers. Mm -hmm. um, so. I, I, I think it's crucial that we find our wonder spark in whatever it is. But again, like that book, I know I just mentioned the wonder spark, but it has it brings so much more, you know, into my writing. It's also kind of a portal story. Um, and both my books are in effect kind of portal stories. Obviously, Alzheimer, the Chestnut Roaster is about the overground world and the underground world mm -hmm. in Paris. And uh, so it's effectively like going through a portal and seeing a whole new world. Um, and I, I think maybe it's it's kind of like the the whimsical nature of that story that I absolutely adore. It's it's almost like it's written through a child's eyes. And I think, again, as children's writers, and I think you do this really well, Sinead, in your stories, um, you. where it, it, it it's that lovely, juicy, magical, anything could happen kind <laughs> of adventure. Um, and again, that was influenced, certainly for me, from that book. Um, now, I'm, maybe I'm lucky I only had one decent book. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a child, because God knows what was that was a pretty good book to have, them, you know. <laughs> yeah, you could do worse than The Wizard of Oz. It's actually now that you, I, I love hearing you talk about it because it's not a book that I read it as a kid, and I have it here somewhere. I think not a not a nice fancy edition like you have. Um, and I watched the film once when I was a child, and it frightened the life out of me. So I didn't watch it again, wow. and I still have it on DVD. Uh, I bought it on DVD for my own my own kid when she, when they got old enough to to watch. Uh, I still haven't determined that 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 age has been reached yet, so we haven't seen it yet. But it's something I must, I, and I, maybe maybe I'm being influenced by the, and maybe Susan remembers this too, the 1985 or something like that. There was a, a Return to Oz, that movie that was made, that oh, really, 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 to Oz. it was incredible. I loved it so yeah. much, but it yeah. scared well, the you know, life Do you know what now, Sinead? I, I would absolutely recommend that you don't show your daughter the movie. <laughs> I would recommend that you read the story out Yes, loud. I'm going to read the story sure. first. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a book I read out loud to my kids. Um, as soon as they were ready for it. Now, it's, I, I've said this before about this book, but it's like, you know, when you go into a sweet shop and you have all the sweets you could possibly imagine in front of you, that's the film. Um, but if you can imagine that sweet shop had a secret door, that if, I don't know if you pulled a, a sweet off a shelf and another whole door opened up and you go in and there's another room and then another room and then another room. That's that book because there's so much in the book that's not in, in the in the film. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it you really do feel after reading the book that he's been on this epic, epic adventure. Right. Um, that's that's the side getting, it. I'm going to get it down off the shelf yeah, and read it today. <laughs> get get him to the, to the Emerald City. You're not even halfway through the book. 
you know, that'll tell you, whereas the, the film is very much about the yellow brick road, yeah, yeah, and, you know. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely recommend it. Wow. 100%. Thank you. I'm delighted we spoke to you today about this. <laughs> I loved The Wizard of Oz as a child as well. And I read, I think they reissued all of the sequels in the 80s. Um, I still have them and I can still see them. And I read all of those or as many as that, because I think there is, it's got about there's, 15 sequels. There's loads of sequels. All of the sequels yeah. that I read. I think there was, yeah, 13 sequels. I read about short eight. stories. But when you're talking about the the colors in the Wizard of Oz and how like significant and important colors are in the book, and it as you're talking, it really reminds me of of Elf's time as well, and Needle's ability mm-hmm. to yeah. see emotions in color. Correct. Yeah, and it's probably directly influenced um, from that book. Like Needle has synesthesia, um, which is the ability. Like it's it's basically when all of um everything gets crosswired, you know, so you might feel something as a result of seeing something. I actually had that myself. If I see somebody fall, I'll feel it in my legs. Um, so I can't watch any of those, you know, uh, clips that you see on telly where people are bloopers, you know, people are falling and stuff. And it's like getting electric shock down my leg. Yeah, but I hate needle, those, so. yeah, there you go. <laughs> but ne- needle in the in elf time can actually um he can hear in color, so he hears certain words or the tone of somebody's speech in colour. So he has different colours mean different things. And he has a little bit of a difficulty um, whereby he takes things literally. So he, he finds it very difficult sometimes to understand the meaning, the nuance people are, are saying to him. So he uses this as a technique to really understand what's going on with people around him. Um, but he can also tell when somebody's lying, for example. Um, so it, it came in very, very handy in his particular story. But yeah, that I love to be, I, I just feel colour plays such an important part in our lives. And there are colours that make me happy. I don't know about you, but when you read The Wizard of Oz, I'm sure those colours meant something to um, the author as he wrote, you know, if there was danger, there was a certain colour, if there was, you know, in, in different parts of, of his world, The Wizard of, um, the Land of Oz. Um, although I, I would totally disagree, like he had red... <laughs> think in the south which is where they eventually find the the wonderful witch who's going to send them home so you could have swapped the colors around a wee bit in my view but there you go <laughs> perfect perfect i never saw that before i never i never connected the colors with the different you know areas or the different sort of storylines or characters that's when i read when i reread this book i'm going to keep that in mind i'm going to read it with that, that on, on my head so thanks so much for bringing my attention to that we might move on to the next question i think how about if you think about do you see yourself, Eve, as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers? And what does that mean to you? Um, does it well, influence your work yeah. consciously or unconsciously? Well, it does. Um, and it kind of goes back to where we started at the beginning of this podcast, which is, you know, I've kind of realized I write the stories that I needed mm-hmm. um, when I was younger. So I, I totally appreciate the importance of what we do um, and the difference it can make. And without a shadow of a doubt, that influences um, how and what I write. Um, now, although I don't try to go out with a big, strong message, you know, in every book I write, I, I actually try to do the opposite. Um, I'm trying to do what Elfang Bound did, which is to write solely to to bring pleasure to children. Um, but, you know, I am trying to let them see themselves. Um, so I, I think it's important that every child and all of the world and their problems, their challenges, everything is depicted in some story somewhere. So I'll do my little bit while other children's writers will do theirs. And together, you know, um, I'm hoping that every child will find a book that works for them and it makes them a bit stronger. Um, and I think, you know, the, 
at the end of the day, you know, and again, I'm quoting Elfang Brown, but he said to please a child is a sweet and lovely thing that warms one's heart and brings its own reward. And there isn't a true word said, really. It's the most beautiful job that you could possibly want um, to do. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 me and my writing, basically, in a nutshell. That's amazing. And do, do you do um, any art for children as well? I mean, do you or do you just um, do you work mostly with? I mean, would you illustrate children's stories or would you ever consider making a children's story with your own artwork and things like that? Yeah, certainly. Now, because because that uh, fortune teller, <laughs> because she told me to write, I put down my paintbrushes. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And I I suppose the reason being what I was getting out of write out of art, I was getting out of my writing and then some. You know, so yeah. it wasn't about the end product. It was about how it made me feel. And um, so I, I kind of felt I didn't have a need to paint. Maybe selfishly, okay. I don't know. It depends. And I um, so when I did start to write, particularly children's books, um, the automatic assumption was, oh, you're going to illustrate it yourself. It was going to like when I mm. spoke to people that I was now a writer, it was they expected a picture book, basically, yeah. um, with a few words and loads of pictures. And that didn't quite happen now I, as it happens my first book that I did ever write was a chapter book and it's fully illustrated and I spent hours days weeks months illustrating that um and it is uh the most wonderful book on my bookshelf only <laughs> for my children and it's it basically is it, I suppose it comes back to the seeking wonder thing it was based on a place where we used to go called Kilmacurra Gardens um, in County Wicklow um, that is the most magical magical place uh, full of wonder and I basically when we used to walk there when they, when they were very very young I used to make up stories all sorts of stories and adventures um, based on what was there you know the actual lie of the land so that's what that story is about and it's their favourite book on their bookshelf um, without you know a shadow of a doubt but it never made it any further to that than that and after that I gave up on the illustrating and uh, just wrote. Um, I think leave leave the illustration to the experts. <laughs> at this well, stage. I mean, if you're not an expert, then I don't know who is. But uh, you're certainly an expert writer, uh, anyway. So I'm really glad. Well, I'm glad in a way that you you follow the advice to, to to write. But I also hope that you you also do take time to indulge yourself in your art and get you get pleasure from that because uh, I know you're immensely gifted as well. Um, and I hope. I, I mean, I, I I sort of, I suppose art and writing it must sort of. I suppose interlink in in some ways, or you know, must you know one influences the other and the other. Yeah, certainly to me, I find you to be a very visual writer. In that, I was going to all the way through the pod and trying to think of how I wanted to word this, but you know, your books all seem to be very um, they're books that you can you can really kind of you can really dive into the pages and kind of pick up the things that are in your stories. They're all stories that are told through, as we said earlier about else time that the hagstone um and and the things that that needle sort of um you know gathers on the shore in his mudlarking. But even in your new book, The Chestnut Roaster is also it's it's so full of things. It's so full of objects. It's it's told through and you can just really imagine the rooms you're walking through, the 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 catacombs you're walking down, the the tunnels underground, you know, all the things you describe that you can see and and hear and take it's just they're so sensory your books they're 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 really amazing so i think definitely yeah your 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 artistic skill must feed into your to your words for sure well i have to say thank you so much Sinead. um that, that, that's the biggest compliment i could get because that's what i'm trying to achieve 
and that sense of wonder is coming across on the pages I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm delighted but I do find I say I haven't picked up a paintbrush but I find as I write I do need to in some shape or form sort of uh, see my stories and I, I I've tended to start playing with clay and I've had I actually do make little clay models of my main characters um which are stunningly beautiful when I make them and within weeks they fall apart because I'm no expert but I love seeing them and um particularly with the chestnut roaster I also got into the habit of making little clay chestnuts and there is something about you know with that coupled with the bits of nature that played a part in that particular book like the leaf skeleton I'm surrounded by them here in my writing room and I suppose I am a very visual person at the end of the day and Mm -hmm. whether that's coming across in words art or now a little bit of sculpture if I could dare even call it that um you know that's that's what you have to do and that's what I why I ask absolutely adore my job I'm very lucky at the end of the day yes well we're lucky we're lucky to be your readers Eve for, for sure um and don't be saying that if you could call it that your sculpture you, the, the chestnut that you were so generously gave me when I received a, a proof of your of your chestnut roaster was just I, I treasure it it'll be on my shelf forever with my on my on my treasure shelf with all my Alan Garner books <laughs> um oh, that's, where, that, that's where I keep all my most treasured things you know my my Garner and my my Tolkien and my Ursula Le Guin they all kind of live together on the shelf and uh, and your your well, I'm very is honored right Sinead. <laughs> it's beautiful Eve it's really it's it's amazing um, so I think you should Thank be you. very proud of all the things that you've achieved um all your artistic uh output is 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 top notch um but we're going to come to the end of our episode in a few minutes but before we go I wanted to ask you what is next from you in terms of upcoming projects if you can speak about anything that you have on the on the on the boiler <laughs> on the boiler um well I seem to be bubbling over with work every single day but in terms of actually producing something <laughs> it's a little bit different um I am yeah obviously the chestnut roaster um which is another middle middle grade story we were talking about that's coming out in October um October 2022 official, yeah yeah 27 but I am okay. having a a party on the 29th in halfway up the stairs bookshop in Greystones everybody's invited to that I don't have the details yet but I'm I'm hoping I would love to have roasted chestnuts at that but uh we'll see we might uh it's set oh, the book is set yeah. in Paris so we might have macarons and as long as they don't explode with... on the roaster <laughs> as long as they don't explode like in the first chapter yeah so um that's 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 definitely in the working so I'm doing a lot of um sort of publicity and PR work and, and events around that at the moment and in the next month um, I'm also trying to work on book three. Um, I was very lucky to get um, another um, Arts Council bursary to work on book three. Um, and I'm so utterly grateful for it because without it, it would be very difficult um, to continue writing. So book three is cooking along. Um, I've done a lot of research in this particular book. It is set again, very similarly um, on something that happened in the past um and i am super excited about it and particularly about the main character um i won't tell you too much about it but it's based on a i suppose uh, a true story a real character in the past and again 1800s i seem to be drawn back to the 1800s i must have been um there in a past life um so i'm i'm super excited about that particular book i'm going to keep writing that i'm hoping to get the first draft out fairly fairly soon um and then see what happens after one fingers crossed it will be on a shelf someday 
Um, really so. and that, that's basically what I'm at for the, the short term. Can't wait. Yeah, that's night. <laughs> but um, I think that should probably be the end of today's episode. But it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Eve. I could I could talk to you all day. You're so interesting. Um, and uh, and thank you to, to Susan too for uh, for helming along with me. It's uh this podcast is just such a such a joy. Um, so glad that we decided to put it together. Uh, we've met so many incredible people uh, as we as we go through it, uh, and uh, and we've had interesting chats, and we have learned so much about books that I have certainly never heard of, and I my my own TBR pile or my to be read pile is growing exponentially every time I do an episode. Um, so it's here, here every it's every book. Yes, I I I haven't read um the books that you've done so far on this podcast. Um, that's yeah. again that gap in my my reading history um but i am it's great that i'm getting the best now <laughs> to go out and buy and, and, and catch up as quick as i can i've already bought a couple of them so great. yeah it's, it's um thank you for increasing my tbr no no this is what we're all about the book love yeah. <laughs> spreading the spreading the book joy i really want to read that super nature book that super nature book sounds amazing that sounds amazing it really does yeah i wonder this. i hope they're still in print or they can be they can be uh well do you know what one somewhere. part of me hopes one part of me hopes it's not in print because every uh fantasy middle grade <laughs> writer <laughs> will have a list of ideas after reading it so no it's mine it's all mine <laughs> too late now it's in the world <laughs> it's out <laughs> You need to keep your superpowers to yourself, Eve. I do. <laughs> um, but uh, great. So we'll, we'll call it a day. And uh, thank you so much to both uh, Susan, uh, my co-host, and my and to our wonderful guest today, Eve. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute <laughs> joy. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. So next time, until next time, story we shaped podcast this. fans. <laughs> until next time, story fans. We'll uh, we'll we'll see you. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Hallyho. You've been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at Story Shaped Pod. And don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts. Mm-hmm.